this week on Dig Me Out. your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with not a requested review. It's a Jason review. <laughs> hey, we got to sneak some of our own in here every once in a while, right? We do. Since we've gone to our Patreons, our Patreons, our patrons at patreon.com where you can uh, support the podcast. We have uh, been going with the uh, pick an album a month sort of idea for the last couple of months where we, we look back 20 years or so and have people vote on a record, and that's what we do for the review. And, you know, we sandwich that in between interviews and roundtables and whatnot, so we only get to maybe two reviews a month if we're lucky, sometimes less. Mm. And uh, we haven't gotten to pick a lot of our own, so... Over the Labor Day weekend, I, I texted you and you texted me and we came to the conclusion that you needed to make a pick. So, Jay, tell everyone, what is your pick for this week? Drum roll. Um, I picked a band called Warrior Soul and a 1992 record called Salutations from the Ghetto Nation. Now, Jay, how did you happen upon this record? I actually own this on CD. Uh, bought bought it full price when it came out. Uh, this was a band that um, in the early '90s didn't really fit very well in any particular genre. They weren't quite alternative. They weren't uh, poppy very uh, really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw them on uh, I think Headbangers Ball. Um, they were on DGC and. Uh, Q Prime Management was, a, which was a pretty big management company at the time. Yep. So they would get like some press, and they would get their video, at least on Headbangers Ball, and they were sort of supported, but they were very different. Like, we'll get into it, but um, I just always found them to be an interesting band at the time. Uh, got this record, liked it a lot, and I always thought it would be a fun. Uh, trip back to see how it holds up because um if it still kind of stood out as being unique and maybe ahead of its time or now it seems a little you know a cliche or and or lyrically how well it holds up because they are can be fairly controversial lyrically in terms of uh a bit of anarchy and social commentary and mm-hmm. sort of gr- the grittier side of things so right um that'll be a fun uh, fun to revisit it this is a band whose name I recognize, but I don't think I ever listened to the band or listened to any of the music uh, yep. back in the day. So when we're talking about Warrior Soul, we're really talking about Corey Clark. He's the driving force behind this band. And he has an interesting history. So he's from, uh, I believe, Detroit originally. Mm-hmm. And he played in some bands. He was in a band called L7 seven spelled out and not the L seven band from Los Angeles that everybody knows. And he was also the drummer in a band called raging slab. Yeah. That's another band that we should revisit at some time. They were kind of oddballs. Didn't really fit in any particular genre at the time. Very well. So he decided on a sort of a, a whim or a bet. He was 
talking to the promoter of New York's Pyramid Club after a solo performance. Uh, it was like an art music performance. He bet the guy that he would have the best band. He didn't have a band at this point. He said he'd have the best band in New York City within six months. And nine months after that bet, he had a band and they were signed to, to Geffen, which you mentioned, DGC, uh, with a multi-album deal. That that multi-album deal would be four albums, I'm, I think, is the correct amount. So Corey Clark is the main member of this band. I'm not going to go through how many other members, but let's just say it's upwards of 20 people have been in this band. Yeah. So, so the first album, Last Decade, Dead Century, came out in 1990, followed by Drugs, God, and the New Republic in 1991. The third album, which we are reviewing, Salutations from the Ghetto Nation, came out in 1992. And then their final album for Geffen, Chill Pill, came out in 1993. Uh, at that point, they left Geffen and they joined the Music for Nations label and released the Space Age Playboys. And then they released an, an album called Odds and Ends in 1996. Yeah, 1996. From there, it's been spotty. Uh, they released a compilation album called Classics in 2000, a live album in 2008 called Live in England. Then they released in 2009 an album called Destroy the War Machine. It was originally titled... Chinese Democracy, but then they decided to change it because of that other <clears throat> band releasing an album called Chinese Democracy. In 2012, the album Stiff Middle Finger. In 2013, Opium Hotel 2. And in 2014, Corey Clark put out a solo album called Paybacks a Bitch. So that's the discography history of uh, Warrior Soul and, and Corey Clark. And Jay, you mentioned, um, you know, they were on DGC. They were um, with Q Prime, which was a huge management company. Um, one of their, when the 91 album came out, Drugs God and New Republic, they went out on tour with Queensryche and opened for them, who was also on the Q Prime agency roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reading about the history of the band, around the time that this album came out, Salutations from the Ghetto Nation, the relationship between Geffen and Corey Clark had soured, and he was pretty much bashing the label in all interviews back in 1992. And they put out their third out al- or their fourth album for Geffen in '93, Chill Pill, and pretty much said that they put out a crappy album just so they could get out of the contract. Mm. So, with all that in mind. We should talk about this band. And when you look at that discography, it starts to lose its way. Just you can just tell by the album titles and the covers of nothing else. Like yeah. the first three are very like cohesive looking. They have the same look and feel. They have this kind of like I don't know, deconstructed kind of graphic design style that was kind of unique a little bit. A little bit like what um Queen's Rake did at the time too. It had like mm-hmm kind of a technology kind of feel to it, but it was also very like cut and paste and a lot of symbolism in it. And then all of a sudden you look at some of the stuff after that and it starts, even starting with Chill Pill, it just starts to get like... Local band? Yeah, just, yeah, not very well thought out. And um, so I, I would say uh, the first three seem to be the strongest of the 
I think, what this band's about. So let's talk about this record, Jay. Since you picked it, I'm going to go first. That's how we like to do things here. Do it. Let's hear it. All right. So I'm going to pick. Uh, I'm going to talk about the one thing, or one of the things that I, I should say that I liked about this record. And you you brought it up in your uh, description of uh, getting into this band, which is uh, Corey Clark's lyrics. Um, you know, a lot of times lyrics just go by and we don't even talk about them because they're so not not unimportant, but they just are not distinctive. And you and I both like distinctive lyricists. We're both fan of, you know, like Richie Edwards and, and Nicky Wire of Mike Street Preachers. And, and we like lyricists who have strong viewpoints. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case all the time. Sometimes I want a simple lyric and melody and stuff like that. But when I when I do hear a lyricist who is doing something different uh, and catches my ear, I will then go and actually start dissecting the lyrics and and digging them into them. And that's the case with Corey Clark. Uh, he's got some uh, interesting lyrics for 1992. So we got to set the stage for 1992 in terms mm. of the world. So yeah. this is pre Bill Clinton. We're talking about George Herbert Walker Bush as the president. We're talking about Gulf War One, you know, Kuwait, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. We're talking post Reagan. We're talking the after the Berlin Wall has fallen. Uh, that's the world that we're we're talking about. So when mm. you read lyrics like um, "I don't take shit," "I bow to no one," "Don't pledge allegiance to pledge allegiance to flags," "I burn them." That's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting um, uh, uh, perspective to take. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a very. This is almost uh, in in some respects more. You mentioned anarchist. This is more um, anti mainstream in terms of his mm-hmm. lyrics than like a Rage Against the Machine. I mean, his lyrics are pretty. He has a an, a song called "The Party," which is about entirely about the Republican Party. infrastructure is wasted and we're deaf to the crowd nothing left for the children it's okay we won't be around welcome to the party the republican party we stack the courts and we tax the poor got johnny lunchbox to fight our wars tax him to the knees and make him love the flag we get corporate freedom he gets a body bag (laughs) yeah i I I, I love the the uh the next verse um we're making a killing, you know, we kill so well, cut the country to pieces, and we're having a sale. We take it all just like, you know, we would. Hell, we we even got Nixon looking pretty good. And that's true. <laughs> it, you know, people talk about, even today, about, oh, when you look back at Nixon, he was actually, you know, he started the EPA. You mm-hmm. know, he has these liberal policies in comparison to, you know, post-Reagan conservatism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a really, really aggressively anti-government, anti-right wing. Uh, there's, you know, 
mentions about destroying the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's it's anti-corporate. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting. Now, not every song is fiercely political in its you know, no lyrical content. No, but I would say over half of them are or make mention mm-hmm. of. of some sort of political or social cultural issues um and there it's really fascinating um this is 24 years ago keep in mind yeah and this is yeah so and this is a major label Mm, yeah and there's a song on a major label album that talks about burning the american flag yeah yeah calls out the republican party and says um we suck of the companies. We suck like a whore. If you need oil, we'll suck some more. Yep. It's just like, holy smokes. Try to project that into a band singing these songs now. Like, how would that go over? Yeah, like, it, it doesn't <laughs> exist. I mean, there, there probably are some very <clears throat> unknown, you know, sure. punk, punk yeah. rock but bands not that on, are, are singing not, this. I mean, this is... This is the label that uh, Guns N' Roses was on, right? And and Nirvana. Right. This is the big – at the time, they were making this record in 1991. The Geffen DGC is probably the biggest label in the world. Yep. And they put this record out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These lyrics. Woo! Yeah, so yeah. that's my thing. That's That is what caught my ear yeah. uh, is – because I didn't catch everything right away, but I was hearing things. I was like, "Is it, did I just hear him say them? What did I just hear him yeah. say? And then I started, you know, found a lyric page on the web. It's not 100% accurate. There's some inaccuracies based on what I'm hearing him singing, but it's, you know, 99% of it's there. And uh, they're really interesting. Yeah. So tell me something you like, Jay. Well, going back to this record, I was a little, uh, I was a little scared I wasn't going to like it. I wasn't sure it was going to hold up. But... I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I thought it, it overall just, it's a heavy rocker. Like it's just, I don't know. Every song is just, even if they're slow songs, they're still very punchy and compelling. Um, and I think there's a couple things that, that make that work. One is um, the drums on this record are very punchy. Like they are pounding. Um, they got a little bit of that ladies kind of production on them with the the reverb, but you know they they the the kick drum is just relentless, um, mm-hmm. and it cuts through everything. And so even songs that are a little bit maybe slower in parts, usually the drum beat is is propelling and loud and bombastic enough that that keeps it interesting. And then I just think his vocals are really unique. I think he's he's able to go from like the opening song love destruction when he first comes in it almost sounds like rob zombie like he's kind of got that like that voice that sounds like it's kind of shredded and almost like barky and uh gravelly um but then he can go into almost like a robert plant kind of thing or uh you know it almost at times sounds like um jane's addiction yeah sometimes. i was going to mention jane's addiction so it kind of runs this gamut of him being able to do a bunch of different things with his voice and being able to pull off most of them, you know, well, I, I don't think there's any moments on here where he like, uh, there's a couple like uptempo punk songs where I think he sounds totally natural doing that stuff. And I think 
there are some songs that get almost in like ballady territory that he's able to pull off as well. Um, so I just think he has a unique voice. I, I mean, sometimes it's a little uh, coarse, but I think with a little listening and getting used to it, it starts to really meld together and um, and work for me. And I think it some of these songs could be um, a bit meandering and, and dull, like from a music standpoint. Um, but I think vocally he he helps elevate them sometimes. Along with the, you know, liking the lyrics, I, I think the thing that I had a trouble, I had a little bit of trouble with was not his voice, but his delivery mm-hmm. in that I felt like he fell into the same cadences and same rhythms with his vocal within the same song, within a song. So like, you know, the first verse and then the second verse and there'd be like third verse, it all kind of be sung in the same way. And mm-hmm. I wish he was a little like put a little more effort into his melody writing and into his just the way that he shaped the the vocal um, because he does a good job of sort of mixing up what he's doing based on the, the feel of the song. Like you mentioned the, the punk feel like a song like um, Punk and Belligerent, which reminded me of uh, I remember the Dotsons. Do you remember that band? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that song kind of reminded me of, of that band and, and that sort of era of whatever you want to call it, action rock or whatever. There's a song like Ass Kicking, which kind of has like a Wild Hearts kind of feel. Um, mm-hmm. And then if, to a lesser extent, the, the song I Love You, which I think of of the up-tempo songs, that's the one that works the least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the guitar riff is so sort of basic on that, that I mm-hmm. feel like it it's kind of lets down the uh, you know some of the other stuff. But then, yeah, he does have like this Jane's Addiction vibe going on like, Shine like it is mm-hmm. a very heavy Jane's addiction, and uh, even even in some respects, like on the Golden Shore, it kind of reminded me of a almost Andrew Wood kind of feel to mm. it. Yeah, there was a lot of you know I, I I can see where you were going with you know this band not fitting in really well because then you take a song like Dimension, which that sounds like a Kim Thayall riff in that yeah. song. So, it, you know, you got Soundgarden and Jane's Addiction and then these punk songs and then there's stuff that's clearly like very end of the 80s metal sounding like, you you know, Queensryche and, and not the hair metal and glam metal, but the more of like the, yeah. like you said, like the thinking man's metal, even like, I guess you could throw in like King's Act.
Well, the, I think the the cult. I think there's a lot of stuff on here that sounds like Sonic era cult. Yeah. It's just less. It's um less overdubs. Like usually, there's only one guitar track on this record, whereas the cult stuff is a little bit more produced. But uh, right. I felt like there was a lot musically and from a guitar standpoint that reminded me of the cult. Yeah, that stomp that they use mm-hmm. in a couple songs has that like sweet soul sister kind mm-hmm. of kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and it was just um, you know, they didn't come they weren't quite in like the the early alternative scene and they weren't in the metal scene and they weren't really in the pop metal, hair metal scene. Like they were in this middle ground, you know, right. I think what the guitar player came from or the drummer came from killing joke and right. You know, that you kind of get like the combination of, you know, how, how they came to, to the sound that they came to. But yeah, I mean, other than Queensryche, which was kind of a fluke, I mean, that, that band's success was, I, I don't think anybody could have predicted they got as, they were going to get as big as they did. They're very much like a kind of a cult kind of band. Right. Um, so you know, touring for them, I like guess that's as, as good as a opening slot as they could probably find in terms of getting support. I mean, I I just think they were. I, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to revisit this. I I wanted to you know think through and talk about if is this is this band ahead of their time or are they just oddballs? You know, if they were to do this, I know they exist now, but that if they were to take if you to take these three first three albums and kind of you know, maybe touch up the production to be more modern. Would these be more relevant now than they were then? Oh gosh. I don't know. That's a good question. There's something very specific about this time period in these albums, or at least in this album, because I haven't listened to the first two that, you know, like crisscrosses and includes a little bit of what we've mentioned, which is the alternative of, you know, Jane's Addiction and Soundgarden, the punk of, you know, he's from Detroit. MC5 and the Stooges are listed as two big influences of his. And, you know, with the MC5 being a political punk band, uh, well, I don't think they were called punk at the time, but they whatever, they're, whatever they were called uh, in terms of their description, just a rock and roll band. You know, there's so many, like, different little pieces here and there that I don't think would be available for someone who was, you know, if you were making these records now, you know, it'd probably sound more digital. I would imagine. Mm. I don't know that Mm. they would get the same sort of vibe with the, you know, live guitar Mm. playing. Yeah. And I think that's one of the elements, obviously that I'm going to respond to. Right. I mean, there's, there's a band, obviously a band element here to this, these first records, I think it's mostly the same three guys. I think that they changed the drummer out. And while, yeah, at times it almost gets like digital-y sounding in that, the, but the drum production and stuff, but you can still tell it's a performance, you know? Well, in, in the amount of, re- especially the early record has a lot more reverb on it and it gets a little bit more like, you know, clinical sounding or sterile, but... Mm-hmm the performance still comes through and the band aspect still comes through, which I think helps. Was there anything in revisiting this that you thought did not age well or didn't work for you? 
I, I mean, I th- there's some aspects to the production that I think are a little bit could be a little bit uh, modernized or n- neutralized, I guess. But for the most part, yeah, I, it it all held up pretty well. I mean, even when the uh, you know, lyrically, he also shifts into very kind of personal stuff too, and just angry kind of stuff. You know, like right, obviously, punk and belligerent, and ass kicking, and just references to you know, the guy's obviously a raging alcoholic. You know, um, it, he's not subtle about anything, either talking about personal experiences or his point of view on the country or anything else. So uh, there's some moments uh, there that. I wasn't sure if it, they would hold up. I, I kind of dig it. I just, I, I believe it, I guess. I think what it comes down to, you know what I mean? I believe everything he's saying, that mm-hmm. they, it's absolutely what what he feels and sort of what he's experiencing. Um, I think um, some of the some of the songs are a little bit on the long side uh, for what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, there's not very many guitar solos on this record, and I know by the you know into the '90s that becomes a thing that nobody does anymore. But they were still, you know, I mean, their first record came out in '90, and they were still a bit of a, you know, like you mentioned, I think had some '80s flavor there. I mean, these are guys who were probably in obviously '80s bands that all had guitar solos, and the, and then and there are a couple that do. But I found that I guess I rem- I didn't recall that at the time. Um, but now going back and listening, it's it's uh, pretty con- restrained from a guitar standpoint. Um, even though I think they're a guitar band, um, there's not a ton of overdubs. There's not many solos. It's pretty compact, uh, and I think you know for the most part they do a pretty good job of keeping the songs moving. There's a couple on here that could get shortened down whatnot and tightened up but uh overall i don't have a ton of complaints um i've gotten used to his voice i know that was something that took me a while when i first started getting this band there would be some songs or parts of songs where it's just so like coarse and growly that i I just couldn't understand it you know i couldn't get into it but over the years of getting used to that style of singing it it, like i i'm fine with it and i kind of like it so Jay, let's give our overall ratings on this record. Salutations from the Ghetto Nation by Warrior Soul. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? Uh, I think it's a worthy album. It's going to be hard for me. I think I listened to it so much uh, that it all seems super familiar, and makes sense now. Um, I, I thought it. The biggest test for me was going to be does it hold up, and I felt like it held up really well. I agree with you. I, I think it's a really fascinating record. I think it's a little too long, and I think a, a number of the songs are a little too long. I would probably trim at least two songs. Um, I, like I said, I don't really care for that I Love You sort of punk rock song. Um, that one could go, and um, maybe one of, the, uh, one of the slower songs. That's the Stooges song, man. I think this one probably has the, the most Stooges feel. Yeah, I just uh, I think the lyrics are... I got it. I got you. Not his best uh, uh, attempts at uh, whatever he's attempting. Um, So I I would I would put it at ten songs, and if you trim a a minute or two off a couple of longer songs, I think it'd be a really tight record. So I got a question for you. Yeah. 
is this the closest an American band has gotten to being the Manic Street Preachers and combining together sort of, not that they sound like them, but like playing with the same ingredients. Well, they're not, they're not far off from the first Manix album, which is very Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. you know, 80s metal sounding, way overproduced on the uh, reverb and, and echo side in, in terms of the drums. This could be, yeah, this could be the closest thing that a rock band has gotten to in terms of, you know, combining the big rock sound with political lyrics. Mm-hmm. That's a good that's a good uh question. I can't think of another band in that format. You know, some people would draw comparisons to Rage Against the Machine, but they were a totally different band. Yeah. It's interesting, like with political lyrics, you know, whether they hold up or not. And I would say there's some Mannix that are so specific you're almost they don't hold up i mean they they hold up just in terms of what they are but the the relevance of them you're like you know that is so specific to some three-month span in you know in uk political history and there's other ones that are broader and sort of more universal and 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 timeless I, i guess i'm still astounded just looking at some of the lyrics and the songs just Maybe I'm projecting, but they just seem like they could have been written yesterday, you know, in terms of what's going on and right. h- how little has changed, <laughs> I guess, in terms of the way you could perceive. Like I'm looking at uh, the lyrics to The Fallen and it's to the Purple Mountains, through the nation of death that steals our future, programs the children, makes change through violence while cries for freedom. It worships control and speaks of hollow victories of the land. It stole like, Whoa. Um, like I'm thinking of like, you know, the pipeline thing that just happened and, you know, uh, desperate for military victories and just like, I don't know all the shit that's been going on the last, you know, five to 10 years. Well, crazy. Yeah, I think that the, you know, there's some things that are specific, but in terms of not naming names, it allows mm-hmm. it to be a little more open. We're not open, but uh, uh, reusable, I guess. True. Yeah. Kind of, I guess. Um, I think some of the better '60s, you know, socially conscious songs are kind of like that, right? Yeah. Like uh, Creedence. Whatnot, they still yeah, like a fortunate son. Hear him now, and you're like, oh, okay, that I still get what you're talking about. All right, Jay, put a bow on this and tell people that they should chime in with their opinions on Warrior Souls album from 1992. Salutations from the Ghetto Nation. You can do so over at Facebook on our Twitter feed at digmeoutpodcast.com, or you can join the conversation over at Patreon. That's patreon.com backslash podcast, And for just a buck a month, you can get bonus content from episodes. You can vote on upcoming album reviews. And you'll have a chance to win from our 300 episode, the 33 and a third book, Dig Me Out, on the Sleater Kinney album. So stay tuned for more information on that or join us over at Patreon. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. 
For Jay, I'm Tim, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We're out. We'll be back next. <laughs> We're out.